You know, Rob, it has been a commonplace in the entertainment world that movies have been getting bumped and bumped and bumped and bumped. And every once in a while, you know, it gets bumped a third time, a fourth time. One movie that's been bumped an awful lot, it was supposed to come out in early 2020, is A Quiet Place 2. Now, A Quiet Place, I think it was 2018, if that was the year that uh, A Quiet Place came out. A Quiet Place was my number one favorite film of the year, that year that it came out. Absolutely my number one favorite film of the year. By the way, Alex Wilson sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Alex. Uh, Absolute favorite film of the year. I've been dying to see this. Now, it was, I believe, pushed to September of 2021. Well, we don't have to wait that long, everybody, because now it has just been announced that John Krasinski himself jumped on social media to announce that A Quiet Place 2 is coming out in May. I believe it's May 25th. I believe that is the date that they are coming out. He got on there, John Krasinski, and he said, uh, they always say good things come to those who wait well. I think we've waited long enough. Quiet Place 2 on Memorial Day, and if because, I, because I'm Canadian, I don't know when Memorial Day is in America, but apparently it's coming out on May 28th. Quiet place. So it's moved up May, June, July, August. It's moved up four months. It's moved up four months. Now, we'll talk about this a little bit more in a bit here, Rob, but I got to say, this is extremely encouraging to somebody like me. You know, we were just talking about how they have, you know, we've been seeing COVID numbers drop. Hopefully that continues. Fingers crossed. We don't know. We could get more surges and everything, but vaccinations going up, all this kind of stuff. The studio apparently has felt confident enough to move this thing up to the end of May. Now, I've been saying for a little while that I think June is okay. May might still be a little bit early. It is the end of May, what have you. This is kind of a good sign. We've been seeing some other moves in release dates as well, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. All I know, Rob, is that I have been dying to see this movie ever since the end credits of the first one. I mean, that, that was it. I was so all in on this world that John Krasinski had created that I just haven't been able to wait to go back. And now we're going to have to wait a lot less to finally see this thing, which I am very excited. Uh, anyway, Rob, you hear about this. What do you think? First of all, where's your anticipation level for A Quiet Place 2 right now? And what do you think about this news of them moving it up into May? Well, I have to say that that one trailer, when they're in the car driving down the town road and they see that one of the creatures attack uh, i i love that <laughs> and i was like <laughs> okay you know i'm like how are they going to make this movie you know any better than the first one and i'm like well okay it looks like they've certainly got a handle on that and um i'm in can't wait to see it and bring look anytime they're they're bringing movies forward again uh, letting letting us see things in May uh, as opposed to not, I'm I'm all there, John. I'm I'm, you know, it's now March. I have not been in a movie theater in this is now the thirteenth month that I have not been in a movie theater because wow. the last time I was in theater was I want to say it was The Invisible Man, I forget it now, but um, it's March of 2021. The last time I was in a movie theater was February of 2020. Whew. I, I mean I. I I did go see New Mutants, you know, at that drive-in event. And I know you went to the theaters, but I can't believe – I can't believe I, – I think this is the longest period of time since I was like five that I wasn't in a movie theater because my parents started taking me to movies when I was a kid. I love movies and, and like my life, dude. And I can't believe I have not sat in an auditorium and watched a movie in 13 months. 
Yeah, and and I have gone twice in the last year. The last time I went was to go see Tenet at a movie theater in Orange County before they shut them down. And uh, I think the next time I'm going to be in a movie theater is for Godzilla vs. Kong. That's the next one I'm going to. And I thought I was going to have to drive out to Vegas. And I'm totally prepared to drive out to Vegas to go see that. Especially now that I live an hour closer to Vegas than I did. So it's it's only a three-hour drive instead of like a three-hour and 45-minute drive. But then word just came out that it looks like by in the next couple of weeks a number of counties including orange county are going to be are going to allow movie theaters to open again at 25% capacity so i'm like great now i only have to drive an hour to go see this damn right. thing cuz i am going to go see godzilla versus kong in a theater and i'm going to go see mortal kombat in a theater these things i'm going to see in the theater and i may hopefully almost everything else is opened up again we'll see question is for you guys what do you think about this news that we now have a quiet place to has moved all the way up to the end of May. Are you guys still excited about seeing it? Have you been like waiting for so long that you kind of lost interest in it? What are you guys' thoughts? Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's get into our main topics today, shall we? And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campia Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big issue, topic, or story that you think we should have as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, let's go on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Justin R., who writes, Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much, Justin. It has just been confirmed that Minions 2 has been pushed another calendar year to July of 2022, making it two years later after it was originally supposed to come out. Why did they have to delay it a whole nother year? Like how did, like, like they did last year? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, we were just talking about how a lot of movies have been getting bumped, but we're seeing some films starting to adjust and maybe move up a little bit. We just talked about A Quiet Place 2 actually moving up four months. But yes, it has been announced that um, Minions 2 has unfortunately been delayed again and not just by a few weeks or a few months it's been delayed an entire year this comes to us from the folks over at screen rant who write originally set to open in july of 2020 minions 2 was pushed back to july 2nd of 2021 as illumination was forced to close their france studios due to the pandemic and were not able to complete the movie in time Universal has delayed the release of Minions The Rise of Gru yet another year. Instead of July 2nd, 2021, the Minions sequel will now release in theaters of July 1st, 2022. It's said that delaying the film another year allows Universal to claim a higher profile date on the year's release calendar. So that comes to us from the official reports. And this is interesting but this isn't actually pandemic related other than the origin of the fact that it got delayed from its original release date. Rob, you and I talked about uh, quite a bit the fact that 
you know, back in 2020, Rob, back in the in the summer and as we were getting into late summer of 2020, you and I discussed the fact that all these movies getting bumped into 2021 are going to cause a traffic jam of sorts there. And you are going to see movies that were sitting in 2021 that are going to have to move to 2022. Some, not, not a ton, but you're going to see some movies moving because the thing's just getting too crowded. I believe that is the case here with Minions. Why did they have to move it an entire calendar year? I think it's because they really felt this is a June or July release kind of movie. They don't want to release this movie in a September. They don't want to release this movie in a January. They want this movie to be a June or July. And here's the thing, Rob. Minions ain't aging. You know, right. I mean, Minions isn't, you could release this in five years and it would still be the same movie. So the way they're kind of looking as like, look, you never want to have to delay your film that long and see that much of a financial investment just sitting on a shelf for all that long. But the reality is this animated film, they can really up and drop whenever they want. And they just feel that the benefits of having a proper prime release date for this film, this family film outweighs the negatives of having to push it another year. So that's how I, I think this whole thing is boiling down. Rob, you hear about them moving Minions 2 <clears throat> all the way to 2022. What are your first reactions to that? Well, I, I mean, I think like what you were saying, um, it is a very crowded field. And now with people bringing films up, you know, it's going to get even more crowded because we're already into March, you know, and the movies that there's a there's a small window. It's getting ever smaller in 2021. And and also, you know, they might they might uh, have more time. They might still want to be working on it. You know, these these movies are not easy to make. They don't take they take a long time to to get right. And I think maybe this gives them more time to make the movie better. I don't know if it's one of those movies like it, that's already completed. That's been sitting on a shelf. But um you know, I, I I would I wouldn't want to release a movie where you're going to have like five big films coming out every weekend. Uh, you know, the, and 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 this is a you know this is a obviously it's a family film. It's part of a franchise that people really love, and I, I think they want to have it uh, have every chance in the world to succeed. I agree. And by the way, uh, Kung Fu Hot Dog sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Kung Fu Hot Dog. Well, guys, I mean, that's it. Minions 2. I, I wasn't the biggest fan in the world of the first Minions movie, to be honest with you. But the trailers for Minions 2, which I saw probably two two years ago now, is when I first saw the trailers for Minions 2. It's now going to come out in 2022 in the summer. What do you guys think about the move? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Michael Odenmere, who writes, Hello, John and Rob. I heard you talking the other day about streaming services and their mounting cost. My wife was saying we should just pick our two favorite or three favorite services and stick with those. But so many great shows are spread over many, many, many services. I used to pay around $75 a month for my full cable a few years back. Actually, I, I paid a little bit less than that. But anyway, a few years back, and now I'm spending more on streaming. Where is the breaking point? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Michael. And yeah, Rob, this is something that came up the other day. And we were talking about uh, here on the show is 
the and we've been talking about this for a while. By the way, uh, Red Raven sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Red Raven. This brings up an interesting thing we've been talking about. Over the last year or so, more and more of us have kind of been observing and commenting on we are starting to spend more and more on streaming services. Rob, I remember when streaming services first came out, like when I first cut the cord, when I first cut the cord about, God, eight years ago or more is when I cut the cord initially. I haven't been a cable subscriber for like eight years. But I remember it's like, oh my God, this is so much better. I mean, yeah, I'm missing out on a few things at, at the time, especially. I'm missing out on a few things, but you know, streaming is the way the future instead of cable and it's going to be so much cheaper. And I remember at the time, Rob, there were a bunch of tech pundits who were like, well, yeah, this is, this is great, but make no mistake about it. At some point, this new model is going to be more expensive than the model we have. And a bunch of us cable cutters like me were like, you guys are just being salty. No, well, this is this is going to be so much cheaper and we're going to get so much better content. It's going to be so great. And it's going to save us all kinds of money. And it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Well, guess what? Turns out those people were right. Turns out they were right. It is going to end up, and we have now crossed the threshold, Rob. We have now crossed that threshold where it is now more expensive to stream stuff, depending on how much you get, than it was to do cable. And here's where it really gets complicated. Michael brings up a really good point in uh, in his question where he says, you know, my wife wants us just to get pick two or three of our favorite services. But the problem is, Rob, so much good content is scattered across a lot of services. <clears throat> Let's jump into the, can't be a classroom here for a second, shall we, everybody? All right, we're going to jump in here for just a minute. Let's let's look at this. Let's look at this for just a moment. Okay, Netflix. Netflix, right? I mean, we could go on and on all day about the different shows that Netflix has, but Netflix right now about $14 a month. And by the way, uh, Toodley Dundee sends in a super chat badge. Thank you, man. Um, you get shows like The Crown, the Witcher, Stranger Things, on and on and on. Netflix, tons of good stuff, 14 bucks a month. And by the way, that price continues to go up. Yep. It's something to keep in mind. Or Disney Plus, which just went up another dollar, and it's going to go up more. But Disney Plus, shows like Mandalorian, WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldiers coming, all that kind of stuff. Beautiful. All right? You got Amazon. 13, I pay annually for Amazon Prime because I get a lot of Amazon stuff delivered, but I get Amazon Prime. But you pay $13 a month. You got shows like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is one of the best shows on TV, by the way. The Boys, which is also one of the best shows on TV. The Expanse, which is also one of the best shows on TV. You want to watch any of those shows? You got to have Amazon. By the way, Lord of the Rings is coming. You want to watch any of those shows? You got to have Amazon. What about Hulu? I love Hulu. Pay another 12 bucks. You want to watch one of the <laughs> hottest shows on TV, one of the most award-garnering shows on TV, Handmaid's Tale, which is awesome, by the way. I know Handmaid's Tale doesn't look like a show that would appeal to a lot of us who really like our genre stuff. Handmaid's Tale is awesome. Anyway, yeah. Handmaid's Tale, Devs, Runaways. You know, you want to watch shows like that, not to mention all the effects stuff coming? You got to have Hulu. Well, then you come to HBO Max. Well, maybe we can skip out on HBO Max. Well, wait a minute. You want to watch Watchmen? You want to watch Raised by Wolves? You want to watch Barry? You want to watch tons of other of the greatest shows out there? You got to have HBO Max. 
Well, then Paramount Plus. Ah, who wants Paramount Plus? Well, wait a minute. They got all the Star Trek stuff. They also just announced that Halo series, Rob, that everybody's been talking about forever. It's just been moved over to Paramount Plus. Not to mention, they just announced Avatar Studios for Avatar The Last Airbender. They're going to have a bunch of new series and Avatar movies and all that kind of stuff coming in there. You want that stuff? You got to have Paramount Plus. That's another $10. Well, what about the joke? Peacock. I hate that name. God, I hate that name. But guess what? You want to watch, you live in America, you want to watch The Office now? You want to watch Parks and Rec? My my wife has been going over, out of her mind. That, that was the thing that finally made us subscribe to it because she wants to watch Saved by the Bell. <laughs> so it is what it is. But and you know what? I hate the damn name. I pro- I've probably been watching more <clears throat> Peacock lately than any other streaming services because I love watching Parks and Rec in the office so much. But And they've got a bunch of originals coming too. Well, that's another 10 bucks. What about Apple TV Plus? A, a, a service that I didn't pay much attention to, but oh my God, Ted Lasso? That show's amazing. Morning Show is fantastic. For All Mankind is fantastic. You want to watch those shows? You got to have Apple TV Plus. Right now, it's only five bucks, which is great. Right. But don't hold your breath. What about other, like, you're getting into more niche stuff, like Showtime. Well, some of the greatest shows of the past 15 years, Rob, you're talking about shows like Shameless and Billions, and I love Ray Donovan, and, and there's many others. So there's Showtime. There's another 11 bucks. What about Stars? Who cares about Stars? Well, everybody's talking American Gods, Outlander, whole bunch of other original. You want to watch that? You got to pay another $9 a month. The, the point is, even just for these series, even just for these series, that's $107 a month just for these services, Rob. And here's the thing. This is where it gets a little bit scary. You might think, okay, $107 a month. I mean, that isn't as bad as maybe it could be, but there's something to keep in mind. There's two things to keep in mind. One isn't as important, but one is this. The, oh, I hit the caps lock. Um, The proliferation of new streaming services is just starting. The The proliferation of new streaming services is just starting. There are going to be more coming. We already know of three or four others that are in the works right now. And that number, because we're kind of entering, Rob, you and I have talked about this, into the Wild West phase of the streaming wars, where this is the part part where everybody's going to start to get involved. And we didn't even mention things like Tubi, which is... Uh, Shudder. <clears throat> I love Shudder. Shudder is a great one. Shudder's a really good one. We didn't even mention ESPN+. Plus. We didn't even... There's a lot of these, and we are still in the phase where over the next two years, we're going to see a rapid proliferation of these types of services. And if the current uh, state of affairs, Rob, tells us anything, is that a lot of them are probably going to have some really good programming that we can say. And, and you know what I used to say, Rob? People aren't going to sign up for a new streaming service or an existing streaming service for just one show. I was wrong. I was very wrong about that. Like, I I really thought that was the case, but more and more it's been proven that people were signing up for services just for one show. So we are, the proliferation of new streaming services just starting, which is, of course, going to lead to more expense. But here's the real thing. Oh, $107 a month. Oh, that's great. But here's the catch. And this is where it's really going to bite us in the ass a little bit later. 
we are in what is called the acquisition uh, phase of streaming. Of steaming. Let me try that again. Of streaming. Right now, you look at things, Rob, like Apple TV, $5 a month. Disney, which launched at 7 now at 8 Here's the th- Paramount Plus, $10, Peacock with the no ads part, whatever. But here's the thing. This is what is known as the acquisition phase, which is where they come in with a, um, you know, a, a shift in the whole paradigm of things. So these companies come in with pricing to get you on board, to get you and me on board. And it's great. And I love it. But it's not going to last for long. Soon they will move out of the acquisition phase where they competitively price themselves so low to get everybody into their ecosphere. And once they're in their ecosphere, they know it becomes difficult or unlikely that they're going to jump ship. Like everybody, I remember the first couple of times Netflix raised their prices, Rob. There was a lot of talk of, wow, this is unreasonable. I'm not, I'm going to unsubscribe to Netflix. Yeah, that never happened. People never unsubscribe to Netflix. And by the way, Netflix is a terrific value. They could charge $25 a month, $30 a month for Netflix. And I would contend that is still, for all the content you're getting, that is still a value proposition. And they know that. Disney Plus with their library and their upcoming originals, $25 a month is still a value proposition. And they know that. And so when you look at the fact, Rob, that we are, we're already spending more than we did on cable, that the proliferation of these services is just starting. And the fact that we are still in just what we call the acquisition phase, you got to understand for people like me, I'm going to have to understand that two, three years down the line, that $107 total that we were looking at there, that will likely be. $220, $230, whatever, because I want to watch all my shows. I want to watch all my shows. And it is still, I would contend, better than cable was. You get to pick and choose what it is you want to watch, the quality. Because the thing, with the streaming wars, you understand you are in competition with other major heavyweights and you can't just crank out crap unless you're Netflix. <laughs> Netflix plays the quantity game a lot. But but amidst all their crap, they also produce some really good stuff too, especially their television. But it's, it is expensive now. It's only going to get more expensive. And I hate to say this as a consumer, but even when it doubles in price, Rob, Again, when you consider how much content you are getting, it's still a value proposition. But we are just going to have to be go into it with our eyes open, Rob. This is the reality. It is going to be significantly more expensive than cable ever was. And hopefully we're going to get benefit for that. But uh, it is kind of the way it is. Rob, you know, I know you're a major streamer. You love your services. What's I do. Been your, what's been your observation about all this and where things are going? Well, look, I mean, clearly (laughs) there's no way around uh, all of these different services. I I don't necessarily see anybody giving you some combined deal because it's different than cable in that these are now the studios that own these services. 
Whereas, I mean, HBO is a subsidiary of Warner Brothers, but it wasn't like the studio. But now they kind of are. You know, Disney Plus is going to be the primary distribution method for Disney films. Sure, they're going to go back to theatrical at some point. But for the most part, Disney, I mean, the Marvel shows are making, they're being made direct to Disney Plus. The Star Wars shows are going to be made direct to Disney Plus. So what you're basically doing is they're they're cutting out the studio's cutting out your middlemen. You know, there's going to be no other distribution. It's not going to be going to ABC or it's not going to be going to the theaters. They're going to be going direct to your house right from the studio. So as more of these happen, you know, you're. it's almost like going to the grocery store to buy all your different food for your house. You're going to have to decide. You're going to have to budget. You're going to have to have a budget. And I, I think we're going to see people like John all dip in and out of these services if something doesn't have something, you're not going to do it every month. People are going to want to be like, you know what? As as long as you can do this, I'm going to quit HBO Max for the next four months after the Snyder Cut and after King Kong or whatever. And then I'm going to go back into it four months later and then I'll have it for a couple months and I'll binge everything I want to see. Then I'll leave for four months. I mean, because it's going to get to the point where all of these streamers and there's a lot of good ones like Shutter is really good. And I wouldn't want to be without it. But like if I watch everything on Shutter, if I wait four or five or six months, they accumulate things I want to see. Then I jump in for a couple of months, watch what I need and then dip out of it. And I think what's really interesting is a lot of these cable services are relying upon their subscription base. You know, I, I, I don't think they want people to do that because it disrupts their earnings. You know, they want people to stick around. They want you to just have revolving payments so you forget you're doing it. And it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out, but it's just going to get it's going to get too expensive. You know, you're going to end up I'm I don't think I'm over $100 a month yet. But I don't want to be over $100 a month. I want to be at $40 a month or $50 a month and that's getting that's impossible now, not for the amount of stuff I want to see. So, yeah. it's going to be really interesting to see how it all shakes out. What's really interesting here, I saw this study. Uh, now, Grant, Grant, this is like over a year ago, but I saw, saw this study that was like gyms, right? Gyms. They make roughly 70% of their revenue from people who don't actually go to the gyms anymore. Like they have their membership, right? Everybody buys a membership to their gym. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to exercise. going to do all these good things. And then they go for a few weeks and then they don't go for a few weeks and they go for a few more weeks and they don't go for a few months. And then a few months turns into like six months, but they just never get around to, to canceling or suspending their thing. Cause they think I'm going to go back and go, go back. And it's funny because everybody says Rob that because, you know, we saw that, that article in the Hollywood reporter, everybody says that, okay, so when this show's done, I'll suspend that service. But the reality is most people don't even though they think to do it. And that's a lot of services to keep track of yeah. which ones you turn on and off. And like when Mortal Kombat comes out, are, are am I going to wait three months till I decide to turn back on HBO Max to go and watch Mortal Kombat? Well, I'm going to go see Mortal Kombat in the theater. Let's be clear. But a lot of people, so it's going to be interesting. My The thing I wonder about if, because, you know, we're talking about Robert, right now we're in this exponential growth period. It's the wild, wild west. We see an explosion going on right now. At some point, what I think is going to happen is that it'll grow so exponentially. And by the way, Isaiah sends in a super chat badge. Thank you, Isaiah. Appreciate that. 
that it will then understand you're going to get so many services that the, that the market can't sustain them. And then they're going to come back down a little bit. And I can't help but wonder, because you raised a great point that I think a lot of people wonder about, which is why not a service that kind of bundles more? Like, could we ever see a point where like Disney, Disney Plus and HBO Max enter into a deal together where they say, hey, if you get both of our services combined, it's going to be 30 something dollars. But if you buy the Disney Plus HBO Max package, you get both for $25. Like, I, I, I don't know. But it almost seems like if it was really an open market, it, you would think at some point these bundled packages will happen. But you pointed out it's a little more tricky to do that with individual streaming services than it is with, like, say, network. Can you see a way that something like that could happen? Or are we really just stuck that you're not going to see bundles unless they're owned by the same company? We're just in this you know, a la carte thing permanently. How do you see that working out? Well, I, that's the thing. I mean, I don't know how when you're dealing directly with a streamer, like you're paying Disney plus directly. Again, you're not going through any kind of a middleman. And I think that these streaming services have built their entire business around being paid directly. And, and they're spending, remember they're spending an enormous amount of money on new programming and it's, it's, it's direct to consumer. And I think that that is a whole new business model and they rely upon taking in a certain amount of money every month to justify what they're spending on productions. So bundling up things is what are you going to have a third party that's going to come in and take a, 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 a take a, a chunk of that money? <laughs> I don't think that's ever going to happen. You know, I think that they're going to want to keep this model. It's it's a new model. I think in a way, the same way that I believe Fork. Streaming services with each studio, I think this is sort of the end of the line uh, on how it's going to work. And eventually, we're going to have so many monthly payments between your phone, your streaming services, like you said, the gym, all these things that we're paying, software licenses. I mean, my God, I can imagine seeing my monthly bill for all the, the things I use going up in a, the hundreds and hundreds of dollars if you include all of this stuff together. And it's all based on streaming and getting things every month or whatever. And I just think it's going to lead to a, a whole families are going to have to develop a whole new economic model along with their grocery bills and everything else. And it's not going to change. I don't think it's going to change, John. I don't see this becoming something that's bundled. It's going to be interesting. And again, I, you know, Rob, I, I think about the expense, but on Saturday night, I, I literally dropped $70. I dropped $69.99 so I could watch UFC, the big right. triple chip. By the way, it was a fantastic card. Just so you know, it was a fantastic card. But I, I dropped 70 bucks for one because I considered those four hours of entertainment that I watched completely worth it. And yep. when you consider what you get with a lot of these things, I think we've been spoiled lately and we're just going to have to bite down and accept, like you said, like the, the growing cost of it, because we are, as long as we're still getting value, as long as we are still yeah. getting good value for the money, I'm okay with it, but let's see where it goes. Question is, guys, have you found yourselves in this conundrum about, hey man, listen, this is getting, there's a lot of services we're paying for a lot of them. Have you thought about maybe just narrowing down how many you have, or there's just too many good shows out there that you find yourself wanting to have all of them? What's your approach to this? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, 
Let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Metal Gear Stud. And Metal Gear Stud writes, Hey, John and Rob, I just saw Coming to America 2, and wow, it was so much better than I was expecting. I love how they brought everyone back. Well, just wondering, have you seen the movie? And if you have... What are your thoughts? All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yes, of course, Coming to America 2 is now out. It is available for streaming. I believe it's on Amazon Prime, one of the services you have to go and subscribe to that we were just talking about. Coming to America 2 is now on Amazon Prime, and it is out. And uh, Isaac the Film Geek sends in a Super Chat badge. Thank you, Isaac. Um, It's there. So I was a little bit late. I sat down and watched it yesterday. Okay. I sat down and watched it yesterday. You know, the first trailer for Coming to America 2 did not impress me all that much. The second one, though, which we talked about on the show, I'm like, this is Coming to America. This is what I'm looking for. And so I sat down to watch it. I'm not going to lie. I was very disappointed with it. I was very disappointed with it. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying Coming to America 2 is a bad movie. I'm not saying it's not bad, actually. It's 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 got some charm. It's got a lot of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A lot of the character of the original is definitely there. You know what it is, Rob? Sometimes these movies get make a, a sequel late, and it doesn't even feel like it's connected to the original movie. There's just a yeah. difference in DNA. This absolutely had the DNA of the original coming to America. It was clearly a... It never felt like things changed too much. This was, these are the same characters, that much moving forward. So it carried some of that charm. It was great to see Arsenio Hall back in that role. It was great to see Eddie Murphy back in that role. It was great to see, you know, his father-in-law back. It was great to see all of that. The problem was, Rob, and by the way, MJ Nation sends in a super chat badge. Thank you, MJ. Uh, Here's the big problem. It just wasn't that funny. It was definitely charming. Uh, There were a few smiles along the way. A great message to the movie about changing things in Zamunda and the the finding this new son. They didn't go too terribly stereotypical at the end. It was really cool seeing Wesley Snipes in there. There are good things about it. And it's not a bad movie. But when I look back, Rob, at Coming to America... And how often I'd nearly laugh myself sick watching that thing. And you compare it to this, it was charming, nice little story in this world. Good seeing all the characters back. It just, at the end of the day, it simply did not make me laugh all that much. A lot a lot of the everything else that went into the film was pretty well done. But Rob, we talk a lot about the fact that in a comedy, you can do almost everything wrong in a comedy. If you make the audience laugh, almost everything else is ignored. It doesn't matter. You could do everything else wrong in a comedy movie. If you make the audience laugh, all the sins will be forgiven. But if you don't make the audience laugh, you can do everything else right. And I feel like Coming to America 2 did just about everything right. It it was solid, but it just didn't make me laugh. There is one line when Eddie Murphy is laying in bed. I won't give set up the whole thing for those who haven't seen it. He's just laying in bed. I won't tell you the context, but it ends with him just saying, this is bullshit. And I, and I laughed out loud at that part. I did. But that was the only time I actually really laughed out loud. And 
a nice movie, nice nostalgia, pretty well executed. It just the laughs weren't there for me. Rob, did you have a chance to watch Coming to America 2? And if so, what were your impressions overall? I did watch it. I, I, to be honest, I was kind of excited to watch it, John. And I have to say, if this makes any sense, I'm with you. Uh, it was bright. Saying you agree with me makes perfect sense, Robert. It makes perfect sense in everything in life. I, I, I just think that the movie, you know, if this makes any sense, it was just too nice. You know, it was almost like watching a G rated family drama. And, and I, I, I feel that in trying, I, I, the message was there. I, you know, it's not like coming to America was a dark film to begin with, but you know, it was on the streets in New York and it, there was a lot more of America in coming to America, the original. And I just felt like I, I was watching a very stage bound and I liked all the sets and I loved all the musical guests. And by the way, mad props to any movie that stages a version of Prince's get off. <laughs> and all the musical guests in this movie with Salt and Pepper. I mean, I I loved all that, but I I felt like I was watching something that was strangely neutered, in a way. And coming to America was always kind of it had a sweet, it was sort of sweet, but I, I don't know. I felt like it was it was so safe, and the message of the movie was so by the numbers and what you would expect, and everybody was all I I, I just. I kind of miss, I just wonder in our new kind age where everybody wants to be nice to everybody else all the time and have all these messages of familial uh, uh, togetherness that you're missing something. And like you said, this is bullshit. I laughed out loud at that too. (laughs) Because I'm like, well, finally it feels like, it felt out of place in the rest of the movie. That's why I laughed, you know? And and I, I wanted it to be a little edgier if that makes sense for a coming to america movie uh yeah i I mean that's that's a good point it it really just wasn't there was no edge to it there was no no edge and you and i have been very looking forward to this movie yes especially with the resurgence eddie murphy's been having lately and i'm glad they made it I'm I'm glad they made it. It's just that, and it was great seeing the barber shop group again. And it was, by the way, that that scene was was I smiled I smiled a, a yes. bit in that scene. That was pretty yeah. good too. It was oh, pretty fun. the joke about the flies with children. Like, oh, whoa, 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 you went too far. Like that was fun. By the way, Mike saying sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, man. Um, but yeah, it just and and by the way, when you go over and take a look, like I I and I thought I might be alone, Rob. Like when I watch it, I'm like. This isn't just just isn't that funny, and it turns out I wasn't that alone. Because when you go over and check, like the audience and the critic scores are pretty much completely aligned with each other on this yeah. one. Um, yeah, fifty-two percent. Which hey, fifty-two percent means by a small majority, a majority of the critics like it. It's thin majority, very small majority, but still about half the critics like it. Almost half the audience likes it. But I was but just. Know- I was just hoping for more, Rob, considering the brilliance of the original and how great Eddie Murphy is. I was just hoping for a little bit funnier. Yeah, I, me too. I'm, I'm, I have to say this movie had a lot of goodwill from me going into it. Like I was willing to forgive a lot. But I thought it was interesting that they basically <laughs> – Wesley Snipes is playing a, uh, you know, an African warlord who's probably not a very nice person. <laughs> and they're trying <laughs> to make him like this sympathetic guy. I'm like I didn't – I'm like, this is really weird. Like, Zamunda is, is bordering this probably horrible, despotic, 
<laughs> where human rights don't and mean a whole by lot. By the way, country. what was the name of his nation? Nextoria. Yeah. And Get it? Because it's next door? Nextoria? Huh? Uh, yeah, and it was just it, it just was kind of weird. I I understand why they're what they're going for, but I don't know. Oh, by the way, uh, another moment that did make me grin was the introduction scene of Wesley Snipes when he oh, had yeah. his hype man come in. Yeah, that was that was pretty clever. Anyway, guys, I think at the end of the day, uh, I it, I was just disappointed. I didn't think Coming to America two sucked by any stretch of the imagination. Not at all. I think no. there were some really nice things about it. I was just Maybe my expectations were too high because of how great the original one is, but it just didn't give me the laughs like I was kind of hoping, anticipating. Question is, guys, did you have a chance to see Coming to America 2? It's all subjective. Maybe you loved it. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Jump down to the comments section below and leave your opinions there. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by... Ryan Butt, or Rayanne Butt, who writes, Greetings, John. From one stupid movie title to another, Universal Just Move F9, or Fast and Furious 9, to June 25th, 2021, more than a year after it was originally supposed to, to release on May 22nd, on 2020. For now, I believe it will hold to this date. However, I notice that June 25th is also the same release date for another blockbuster movie, Venom. Let there be carnage. I think it's clear that Venom 2 is getting moved now. What are your thoughts? Thanks. And bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes. So in what was actually, to me, a rather encouraging sign, Fast 9 got moved. John, how is that encouraging? Because they moved it one month. They moved it one month. Which, again, to me, much like seeing uh, Quiet Place 2 now moving up four months, it was like basically that was announcing we're coming back. Yeah, May yeah. was a little bit too early. Bumping it one month sends a clear message. Yeah, we're ready to go. We're ready to go. Now, is the audience ready to go back? That, that's another discussion for another time. But that, to me, seeing that they moved it and bumped it just one month, was pretty encouraging to me saying, okay, we are now finally going to get to see this thing in theaters because Rob, you and I are both kind of suckers for the fast and the furious franchise. Kind of. Okay. Very much suckers for the fast and furious franchise. Uh, anyway, so here we are that moves, but in the midst of that, and that news just dropped a couple of days ago, there was a footnote to it, which a lot of people overlooked, which Rayanne did not overlook, which is, it has just happened to move to the same day that Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, is supposed to come out. A couple of interesting things, though, about Venom 2. We are now in March. You know me. Studios have to get into the habit of releasing trailers later. They, they've been releasing trailers too early for far too long. So, you know, when we get, when it's five and six months out and people are going, why hasn't a trailer for this come out yet? It's like everybody relax. But here we are. We are in March. April, May, June, July. I mean, we are talking just a couple of months away. We are talking just a couple of months away for this movie. And still talking about Venom 2. And still no signs of it. 
Like we're just a little over three months away and still no signs of it. So we started to wonder, huh, I wonder if the fact that they haven't started up a marketing campaign means that they are also looking at bumping it a little bit. Rob, it seems to me that it is an inevitability at this point. I don't think Universal moves Fast 9 to that date without consulting with the studio about Venom. I don't I don't think they make that move without at least hopping on the phone and giving Sony a call and saying, look, we're we're look are are you guys holding that date? Are you moving this? We think we would like that date. Because I'll tell you what, with this especially even in the best of times, Rob, you don't want to open your major tentpole film on the same day, even if yours is the bigger one, you don't want to open your major tentpole film on the same day as another major tentpole film, especially when it's a film that's going after the same demographic of audience that your film is. Because you yeah. may you may beat the other one, but you're going to take damage. So I have a feeling the combination of the fact that we've seen no marketing coming out of Venom 2, and remember, this is no insider information, this is no insider information. This is just pure speculation. We could be dead wrong about this. But when you look at combining the fact that we've had no marketing spinning up, despite the fact that we're just a little over three months out from Venom 2, with the fact that Universal just made this move to move Fast 9 there, a move that you got to believe there was some consultation about because they don't want to shoot each other in the foot. Right. I think it's an inevitability that Venom 2 is going to move, and we are probably only days away from hearing that announcement. I, I think we're probably only days away from hearing that announcement. Now, the question then becomes, Rob, if, and that's a giant if, if we're right about that and that they are going to move it, the question then becomes, what kind of move will it be? Will it be a Minions 2 move where it gets bumped another year, or Will it be a Fast 9 move where they bump it like six weeks to a month to two months, something like that? That's the bigger question. My guess, it'll be a short bump just to give it a, an extra month or two for the theaters to get it back up and running, but it could be something longer. I'm going to guess it's going to be a shorter. Rob, you look at this situation. Number one, I'm sitting here saying I'm assuming it's probably meaning they're going to move. Do you think it'll move? Do you think it has chances of staying in the same spot? And if so... What kind of move does it do if you think they will move? What do you think? Well, again, it's like this whole problem with with 2021 being every every day that goes by, the the rest of the release windows get compressed. And with more, you know, these movies are all expensive, big studio tent poles. And, um, I, you know, I think at some point they're going to have to pull the trigger. I don't know if Venom 2, like you said, we haven't seen any marketing on the film. And this is not a this is not a cheap movie either. This is a movie that they're expecting to pull in between 800 million to a billion dollars. And it's the kind of movie that I would imagine the marketing blitz would be huge on. So I would have thought that we would have seen something on this film. Uh, we've already had Fast and the Furious trailers before, so we, everyone knows. No one's seen anything from Venom. So that leads me to believe that maybe it is moving, John. Uh, I think pushing it later. I mean, think about it. We got four Marvel movies coming out this year still. Yeah. And and with Venom, which is essentially a Spider-Man adjacent movie, you know, maybe Tom Holland even shows up in it. Who knows? In a post credit scene. I But by the way, I have no idea if that I'm just making that I'm pulling that out of my behind. But I, I uh, 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 who knows? I think it probably will move. Uh, it's it. But I don't know to when. 
maybe a month or two. I think it really is going to depend. I think I think honestly, right now we're coming out of things, but I still think we're on the cutting edge of of being safe. We talk about COVID cases are coming down, but people are opening. Hey, Texas is open, but will they get another surge because of that? I think we'll know more in a month or two. If you had, if they came to you right now, though, Rob, if the execs from Sony came to you and said, Mr. Burnett, we are deadlocked in our boardroom and we know the only person to give us guidance here is Robert Meyer Burnett. Yeah, I don't talk to Bob Iger anymore. So (laughs) we have a choice of moving this thing five weeks or moving it 11 months. Which do you think is the wiser thing for us to do right now, given the circumstances of when it was supposed to to come out? What advice do you give Sony? I don't think they should move it 11 months. You know, I I think that, I think that, look, at one point you're going to have to make that gamble. And, you know, things are opening, stuff is coming out. It's just that right now, the problem is, is that, the theaters aren't open enough and mass that these bigger tentpole movies can make the kind of money they need to make theatrically in order to be profitable. Right now, it seems to me that any tentpole film, big movie that's going to open is going to lose money theatrically. And these movies need to make big money and they're not going to make worldwide the, the 750 to a billion dollars they need to make that that was the that was the that was the expectation when they were made in the first place so the real question is are you going to have enough theaters to make it worthwhile for you and i would say for the time being try pushing it five weeks with cases precipitously coming down we you might catch a wave right now it's like surfing waiting for the surf to come in and I and I, I I think you could you could be having a great day, or the water's going to be glassy all day, and you just sit out there waiting. But I think if you're going to bet that these waves are going to come in, meaning the waves of people going into movie theaters because it's all open up and everyone's vaccinated, you got to pull you got to pull the trigger. We're still three months away. Why not push it another five weeks and buy yourself that extra time? Well said. All right, guys. Question for you is. What do you think is going to happen to Venom? I, I think it's inevitable it will probably move all things. I think all signs point to Venom moving. Maybe we're wrong. It, it, maybe it sticks in its its spot and they figure out a way to make that work. But my guess is that it moves. But then if it moves, does it move like a month or two? Does it move like 11 months? Who knows? Guys, if you're in charge of Sony, what do you do? Jump down into the comments section below and leave us your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down... We're going to do one more bonus topic, Rob, that you and I didn't even discuss. But it's one that I I think we should talk about here for at least a minute, for at least a minute here. And because you and I have not had a chance to collaborate and talk about this. Actually, you and I, on the couple of times that we've talked, we haven't actually talked about the finale of WandaVision. Now, I don't want us to go into a full review of of the WandaVision finale or anything like that. Oh, no. (laughs) Because that would be forever. I only want to take a couple of minutes here. But... One of the interesting things that came out of WandaVision is, of course, a lot of theories. But we knew this was going to happen. I said this every week, Rob. Every week, we're going to find out that a bunch of theories are right and a bunch of theories are wrong. And and that's been true all along. But there are some people who found out that their theories were incorrect. Like, hey, you know what? I I thought they were going to end with this major Shakespearean tragedy. Yeah, and I I didn't want them to have the stereotypical cookie cutter happy ending, and 
they didn't give me the one I wanted, but they didn't give me the one I feared. They were kind of in the middle. You know, kids are gone, vision dies, all, all that kind of stuff. But Wanda didn't. Wanda came to a place of acceptance, which is the final stage of the grieving process is acceptance. And so she sort of came. So it's kind of somewhere in the middle, and I appreciated it for what it was. But, you know, there are a lot of people who were very upset that X-Men didn't show up. There were a lot of people who were very upset that Pietro wasn't Pietro all along, which I told you, <laughs> but he wasn't actually uh-huh. Quicksilver. A lot of people. And it's it's the thing, Rob, that we always try to warn against is that, you know, we get our, our theories blown apart. And it's like, okay, but put that aside. Was it still good? Because I had several of my theories blown apart. And it's like, oh, but they did something that was still really good anyway. And we, we appreciate it. It brings up the question, Rob, of, it's fun to engage. Actually, it's amazing to engage in theories and speculation and all that kind of stuff. As long as we know to leave all those theories and speculations at the door once we come into the living room to watch the show. We got to leave those expectations behind so we can just watch the show and judge it on its own merits. But have we gotten to a point as a fandom where people just get too attached because it's not just WandaVision. We've seen it happen in other things. People get too attached to what their own theories are, to what their own, you know, I- ideas are of what's going to happen to their own speculations that they condemn themselves that if the movie or show doesn't do what they were expecting to have happen, they automatically discount the show. And I think we've seen some backlash. Anyway, Rob, what are your thoughts on that overall? And, and, and how bad do you think we saw here with the WandaVision finale? Well, I, you know, I, I was talking about this on my own show yesterday uh, over the weekend, and I, I was like, you know, we here's the thing. We are given an expectation because the Marvel Universe itself has set that up, you know, with their post credit sequences, with their Easter eggs and the teasing and all of that. And I think what's really interesting is we as viewers – we're imposing a lot of expectations onto WandaVision that were not based on the show that was being shown to us. Right. That we're, we're and and I think that, you know, all, all of these speculations, I, I, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword because on one hand, we did, we do impose all these things. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the biggest takeaway I get, John, from this is that we were talking about initially how we love the idea that each week that went by, this was not a bingeable show that we were waiting a week to see every episode. And I was totally down with that. I was like, look at how much speculation and how much fun everybody's having. But ultimately, it led us down a path where many people were let down by the ninth episode. Up until the ninth episode, I too was like, man, I was all in. And I kept wondering. I've been thinking about this. I was kind of under the weather on Saturday. So I was. I thought about this a lot. I'm like, I wonder if I had watched WandaVision and binged the whole thing with no expectations and no theories and just watched it all unfold, would I have felt the same way? Because I wouldn't have spent every week answering millions of questions and speculating and thinking and going back into the Marvel lore and reading about Nightmare or Cthon or Mephisto or, or Speed and Wiccan and going into all the comic book history and all that. If I just sat down and watched the damn show, would I have been, would I have thought, wow, this is a lot of fun. This is really great. But now we've had so much time to pull it apart. I feel maybe, maybe we shouldn't, we shouldn't be pulling things apart like that. We should wait until they're over, because we did we did set ourselves up, 
And then we had to listen to people. There, there's going to be a Skywalker cameo. I mean, and and that was actors like Paul Bettany. He really was. I saw him. He 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 was making a joke about acting with somebody he's wanted to act with for a very long time, being himself, you know. And I'm like, we we did this. We as fans did this. The show didn't. We did. Yeah. I is that fair? And it, it, here's the thing, too. I believe that we rob ourselves. We rob ourselves of something here because, look, one of the great things about this, whether you, I always mispronounce Cthon's name, but whether it's Cthon or Nightmare or Mephisto or any of that kind of stuff, these are characters that a ton of people had never even heard of. Right. And now right. they know about these characters. They went yep. and researched them. They never even heard of Wiccan and Speed. But then they went and researched them and found them out. Now they know all about Wiccan and Speed. They never knew anything about the history or of House of M or anything like that. And yep. guess what? They went and found there's we had we have had so much fun over two months, the course of two months. Yep. Of speculating, discussing, and whatever. The problem for me, Rob, I, I think personally, the problem isn't the fact that we form these big speculations, or whatever. The problem comes with we've got to learn to keep those those speculations and everything in their place. It's great to have them and theorize. And by the way, a lot of theories came true, like theories I didn't think was going to happen. A lot of people theorized that Monica was going to get her powers in this show. I didn't think that was going to happen. I thought they were going to wait for that till Captain Marvel 2. But they gave her that she became Spectrum or Photon or Captain Marvel, whatever name you want she goes by. You know, they gave her a lot of names in the comics. She's got like five different names. Anyway, they gave her her powers there. And I I didn't think they would. There was another number of other big theories that people had that did come true at the same time. But it's just this. I feel like we rob ourselves of that joy when we fail to compartmentalize all that and saying, OK, that's all the fun we had. Now let's put it aside and watch the show for what it is and appreciate it for what it is. Because, Rob, I don't want people to stop theorizing. I don't want us as fans to stop wanting to dig in to the lore and dig into the history and research theories. I don't want that to stop. I, I want us to continue doing that, but just realizing, okay, now if they don't do what we thought they were going to do, is it okay? And yes, it is okay because I thought overall the show was fantastic. It didn't have the ending I was exactly looking for, but it was still a really good ending. I love the second post-credit scene. I love the second post-credit scene. Um, I just thought they did a lot right, and I just think we rob ourselves because you're right. I love the way you put that. Is we did the setting up, you know, <laughs> yeah. we did the setting up, and so I, I don't know. I just, I just don't. I don't want to lose the theorizing. And I don't want to lose, but I do want us to be responsible with our theorizing going, okay, now that we've had our fun theorizing, the episode's coming on, let's take all of our theories and put them aside and we'll go back and revisit them later. But I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting evolution. The fandom is going into now, Rob. I want to ask you, I want do you think that Falcon and winter soldier is going to be in a different way, the same kind of, is it going to invite the same kind of speculation that WandaVision did? Or is it going to be more of a straightforward action adventure, Jack Ryan-y kind of globe-trotting adventure thing? I'll tell you what. I initially really thought that Falcon and Winter Soldier was going to be more of a down-the-line action series. Yeah. You know, more of a MacGyver sort of thing or, or an A-team, if you will. Straight down the line. 
But WandaVision ended up being so different than what I thought it was going to be. Like, by the time we got to episode four of WandaVision, I'm like, everything I thought about this show, like going into it at first, was completely, I thought it was going to be this cute little gimmick show where they're doing their thing in in the different sitcom eras. And it turned out to be so much more than that. I now really question, I think there'll probably, as much speculation and intrigue and mystery as there was to WandaVision, maybe not, but I think what Kevin Feige is showing us is that the era of the stereotypical formula comic book entity is gone. We are going to hyphenate everything. Everything's going to be hyphenated now. It's no longer a comic book movie. It's a comic book thriller. It's no longer a comic book movie. It's a comic book hyphen uh, horror. It's no longer a comic book thing. It's a this, this, this. So I have a feeling after watching WandaVision that there's going to be more mystery to Falcon and Winter Soldier than I thought there was going to be. I, mm. I do. What about you? Where are you on that right now? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I think there's probably a lot more to that, too. You know, if they interview introduce U.S. agent as a new Captain America and there's more of a conspiracy vibe happening and maybe they'll pick up threads that that are part of Black Widow since Black Widow is a, a prequel. We might um, see some of that. I think, like you said, there's going to be more going on in these shows like the Loki show looks bananas, too. Oh, I can't and wait. I, and I think with the time variance authority, and if there's a female Loki, I like, guess so much craziness going on. And I, I think they're going to have to subvert expectations because why just do your standard Jack Ryan conspiracy? But I, I, I mean, I still think I still lean to it being more like Winter Soldier than, say, WandaVision, that it's going to have more of a straightforward action narrative. But again, that's my expectation. And I could be wrong. Right. But the, I, I think you're onto something there because. With Falcon and Winter, I do not believe Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to be like WandaVision in the sense that we waited till episode nine to have our first real, and it was a terrific, but our first real action sequence. That's right. not going to be, we're going to get a, a much heavier doses of action stuff. Yes. I, I'm not saying every episode is going to have some big, you know, set piece action sequence, but there's going to be a lot more of it, I think, in this, but it's going to be very interesting. And dude, we're only a couple of weeks away. I, I, well, it's it's a week <laughs> from we get the making of Wanda show, yep. and then we jump into. But what I, you know, what I was thinking, you know, how the Marvel universe has been, they always do different versions. Like Winter Soldier was a conspiracy theory thing. I think that it, I mean it's obvious, but we're gonna finally get our first buddy cop movie. You know, think Lethal Weapon, or think well, it's not buddy cop, cop villain, Forty Eight Hours. Running scared, you know. I think that that midnight run, that that team up of disparate, mismatched dudes coming together, and they have to work their differences out and solve a problem. And I got to tell you, from that perspective, I've missed those kinds of movies. And I hope that that this gives me that sort of that buddy cop vibe, the Riggs and Murtaugh vibe that I used to love in the eighties. And I I hope I hope they bring us that. All right. Questions, guys. What do you think about that? Do you think we should just stop theorizing? Do you think we need to ha- learn how to compartmentalize our theories? I, I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think about all that? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. 
Okay, guys, with that down, let's now move over and start taking your live comments and questions. Just a heads up, we are a, a little bit behind on, on getting caught up in all the live comments and questions because we didn't actually end up having an episode of the John Campus Show on Friday. So that means it's been a little longer than normal since we started taking questions. So we're a little bit behind. The first couple, I'm guessing, Rob, I haven't read through them yet, but I'm guessing in the first batch of questions, there might be some people theorizing because after jo the John Campus Show on Thursday, some people still sent in questions after the show, which would have been before WandaVision aired. So I'm 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 expecting we're gonna get at least a couple of speculation questions about WandaVision tonight, but let's find out here. Let's jump into it. We're gonna start things off here with Michael H. Jones, who writes, by the way, tips in $20. Thank you, Michael H. Jones. Appreciate that, man. Hey John, just finished all four seasons of Kim's Convenience. Thanks for the recommendation. And okay, see you. Dude, Kim's Convenience is the shit. I love this show. I am so in love with it. It's great. It's not quite as good as Shit's Creek, but it's so fantastic. I, I have been watching season five on YouTube because there's no way to watch it here, but it, they, the episodes are up on YouTube. So I've been watching season five on YouTube. I'm so glad you found it, Michael. If you guys haven't checked out Kim's Convenience, by the way, Simu Lu, the guy who's going to be Shang-Chi, this is his show. I mean, he's not the main star of it, but th this is where he got his uh, big sort of exposure. So you go, ah, go check that out. All right, next up, Roberto writes, Theory, Feige is going to use the multiverse to bring the X-Men, but he's also going to leave them there into their own universe. Oh, I wish, man, but I don't think that's the case. I wish, I wish. Uh, that way, ex explaining uh, that they always existed and leaving the door open for a crossover. Rob, you know, to me, you know, I originally wanted Comcast to win the Fox. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The bidding war? The bidding war. I wanted Comcast to win instead of Disney because I liked somebody else, another studio making movies instead of all of it. And I just kind of feel like the MCU is a little bit overcrowded. I mean, if if Fox had been under Disney this whole time, we never would have gotten Deadpool. And we never would have gotten Logan. To me, a top three comic book film of all time. We never would have gotten those films. And I kind of like the idea of them being under Comcast, but they didn't. So now they're here. They're going to be under Disney. And I really, really want the X-Men to be in their own separate universe, separate from Avengers and separate from everything else in the MCU. I just feel like the MCU is getting a little bit overcrowded. But Feige is Feige. He will find a way to make it work. He will. So I wish that were true that he was going to keep them in a separate universe, but I don't see, I I wish that was the case, but I don't see him doing that. I think he's going to merge it all in together and, and we'll see. I don't know, Rob, what do you think is going to be the ultimate end game of that? Well, I look, I think the X-Men, I think WandaVision pretty much ended the, the question of mutants because they're there. Pietro and Wanda, we saw as little kids had latent mutant abilities that were obviously augmented. Oh, you're so wrong about that. No, they did not. She's a uh, witch from birth. No, she's a mutant. No, that is, she's uh, not. Is, is, she's she's a mutant. No, so is Pietro. They had no, their he's not. They yep, never yep. said that. Not at yep. all. You and I will nope. fight about this off camera. Continue no, with they, your they, incorrect I mean, point. She's, she's a nexus being. She has latent mutant abilities. They just she casts spells. I mean, that's her. That's her ability. I don't think that like Wanda. Uh, uh, she she has a, a latent powers, whereas Agnes had to learn her powers. She even says it on the show. She's like, "Where'd you get all these powers? I've been studying this my whole life." That's because uh, she's the Scarlet Witch, and that's the one thing she points out: is you have the power, but without the knowledge yet. She's and, a mutant. Uh, See, I'm telling you, man, and I'll tell you, uh, the, the mutants are already in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
we just haven't seen their stories told yet because they've been concentrating on the Avengers and metahumans as opposed to Homo Superior with the mutant gene. That's what I think. And they're going to slowly introduce us to those characters. And they're, I, but they're, I think I they're going to they'll always have been here. Your we just, Sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought there. They just haven't been. They just, we haven't seen them, and they they're not. They are. They've been working and living in secret, just like the Eternals have been. And I think that I think the Eternals, whatever they do with the Eternals, and however they explain the Eternals' presence on Earth for thousands of years, which we know we're going to see a thousands of years span uh, in the movie. I think there's going to be that'll be the that'll be the movie to look to, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's a heavy mutant. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if mutants that we've known about, like someone like Apocalypse, uh, Abin uh, Sur, what might be mentioned. And Sabanur. And Sabanur, yeah, would be mentioned in um, uh, Eternals because those characters have been here for a long time. But we'll see. I don't know. I think your methodology may be right. I mean, that's as good of a theory as I've. I mean, I, I, I'm one of these guys where I don't have. I actually don't have a theory. I have no idea about what the best way would be to bring them in. I mean, there are problems with saying they've been here the whole time because there's a lot of mutants and they spontaneously combust their their power spontaneously spontaneously emerge. But your methodology may they may actually go about the route of saying they've always kind of been there. It's difficult. But actually, going back to House of M, I was thinking about this the other day, Rob. the The big problem with saying the mutants has always been there is that it's impossible to keep that secret. A teenage kid, like a 13-year-old kid hits puberty and all of a sudden he makes cars explode around him. You can't keep that secret. But going back to House of M stuff, like after House of M and the whole mutant decimation where the million plus mutants in the world were suddenly reduced down, what was it, 198? Is that the number? Like there were, so after House of M, there were like millions of mutants in the world, but then all of a sudden, there was like 198 or 193 or something like that mutants left in the entire planet. And maybe if they say that mutation is really, really small at this point where there are literally like 60 mutants on the planet. Yeah. Then that methodology could very well work. That could work. But I don't know whether it's, Saying they're from an alternate dimension, merging dimensions, uh, something like that. And that's all possible too. I don't have a good, I don't have a good theory for it right now. Anyway, all right, let's move on here. The facilities guy writes, Your rant against AMC was spot effing on. You spoke for many current and former, like me, employees. Adam Aaron, backed by Wanda Group. Actually, it's a little known fact for a lot of people don't realize the Wanda Group no longer has a controlling interest of AMC. They did for a while, but a lot of people forget Wanda no longer has a controlling interest of AMC. Just throwing that out there. Anyway, back by the Wanda Group has run AMC to the verge of ruin. Without going to specifics, Jerry Lopez uh, knew that. You know, I always call Jerry Lopez Gary. I don't know if that's a Parks and Rec thing. I always call him Gary. Anyway, you're right. It's Jerry Lopez. Uh, knew that bigger isn't better. Jerry Lopez, of course, was the former uh, CEO of AMC. He was a it still is. He is an absolutely brilliant dude. Brilliant, brilliant dude. When he decided to move on, he's the CEO of another company now, whatever. But when he decided to move on, AMC got a pretty lackluster replacement for him in this buffoon, Adam Aaron. Anyway, uh, that's just kind of my take on that. All right, next up. Uh, Aaron, uh, Aaron in the UK writes, Hey, 
Uh, UK Prime Minister Boris said that all restrictions will be lifted in the UK by June 21st. That might not be as overly optimistic as we once thought, depending on how well we stick to things here. Great news for films slash comic cons, etc. To my random question, why do you think Wentworth Miller, Prison Break, never became a, a top Hollywood star? Thanks, Robert Meyer Burnett and John. Well, you see, here's that's an interesting thing. Wentworth Miller, by the way, is great. I, I loved watching him as Captain Cold in the uh, CW universe. And of course, his big uh, his big breakout thing in, uh, in uh, Prison Break. The question isn't, here's the problem. There are so many actors in this business, Rob. There are so many, and only a finite percentage of them hit that tier. That And by the way, the very fact that we you can just say the name Wentworth Miller and we know who we're talking about, that says he's had a pretty successful career. But why didn't he make it to that top thing? That's the wrong question. The question becomes, why would he? You know, there are there are so few who actually, percentage-wise, Rob, that actually crack that upper tier. It's not like, well, I, well, what went wrong with him that he didn't become a big A-list star? It's like there are so many people competing for a gold medal just because you didn't win the gold medal. It's like, wow, what's wrong with you? Well, but only one person wins the gold medal. I So the question really isn't why didn't he? It was like, why would he above so many other people? It doesn't mean he's not great. It doesn't mean he's not super talented, but the question actually has to be flipped around. I don't know, Rob, what do you think about when you think of Wentworth Miller? Well, if you look at him, you know, there's some actors that are content to be in television and he, um, he's had a pretty long career. Uh, if you look at his IMDb profile, he was in a Buffy, the vampire slayer episode in 98. And then of course, prison break, I mean that ran for quite some time. Yeah, he made he probably made a big money, and people forget he's also a screenwriter. You know, he wrote the movie Stoker and the Disappearance or the Disappointments Room, and uh, those are uh, how many how many actors do that? You know, and and um, uh, I, I, that's pretty amazing. DJ Caruso directed the Disappointments Room, and of course Stoker was the uh, Chan Wook Park film, um, and these are that was a Nicole Kidman movie. So um, there's he's had a really interesting career. And remember, you know, he's been a working actor for 25 years almost. And he's done quite well. You got that TV money, you know, working on a show like Prison Break, which was an actor with who's shrewd and can make decent investments. You can live on that for a long time. So maybe, you know, with the DC, uh, the, the Arrowverse stuff he's done, too. Not bad. You know, it's always it, it's always you got to look at what people some people are not looking for superstardom. And I think as a TV actor, he's done quite well. All right. Next up, we got BK Dan who writes, hey, John, uh, just going to say that the interview Matt Shankman, he's the director of the episodes of WandaVision, uh, did with comicbook.com was eye opening just to all other fans of the show. Go and watch it. Yeah. And of course, he just did another re- one with um, Kevin Smith. He did yeah. an interesting one on Kevin Smith where he said he originally had this idea that the rabbit was going to uh, be more than just a rabbit and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you should go and check out those interviews. If, you, if you're really into WandaVision like we are, you should go and check out those interviews. And it uh, gives you a little bit more texture to our understanding of the show. All right. Water and Escape writes. The actor who played Joffrey in Game of Thrones quit acting after his role was done. Made me wonder if there is an unspoken understanding in the acting community that certain roles can affect mental health. What do you think? I I don't know. I'll I'll be honest with you. This whole idea that 
if you're going to, I don't know. I Maybe this is, look, full admission. I'm not an actor. So anything I say about my opinions of how actors handle certain things is me completely speaking out of my ass because I'm not an actor. I, I don't know. I don't have, I don't understand the stresses of an auto mechanic. I don't understand the, the specific stresses of an accountant. I don't understand the specific stresses of actors and what affect them and what they don't. So I don't know. As a complete outsider, uh, somebody who's not an actor, I look and say, you're pretending to be something. It, it seems weird to me, like, if you're not able to pretend to be something without it affecting your mental health, I mean, doesn't that suggest then watching TV shows should affect your mental health too? And I don't think watching TV shows affects your mental health. I think there've been enough studies to prove that. But I I don't know. It's it's just weird to me. Here's what I think, Rob. And again, this is full admission. This is me speaking out of my ass completely. This is me completely speaking out of my ass. I think it has less to do with, like in certain circumstances like that, it has less to do with them playing the character as it is with the real life pressures and the real life drama and the real life stresses that happens as a result of being a kid that age, being the most hated fictional character in the world at that time, being that young and being a part of a show that's the biggest show in the world and all the things that happen when he walks off of set I, my guess is, again, completely speaking out of my ass, my guess is that probably had more to do with anything else. But I'm not going to pretend like I fully know the situation and that I fully know the dude. I don't. I could be so far off in that. But that's just my first impression. What about you, Rob, when you hear stuff like that? Well, I mean, that's I, it's the same thing. You know, I feel like you do. And, and I, I, you know, it's it's I, it's hard to say sometimes. And we but I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I do. And uh uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> I mean, I have to contemplate this further. I think I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, agree with you. Think, think about it for a second. Cause I'm sure a lot of people hear us talking and they think, and, and I understand going, Oh, boo hoo, poor little rich, famous kid. Right. But, right. but the reality is, is most people don't understand that. Yeah. There comes, there's a lot of glory, but there comes with it a price tag. Right. Yes. And when, especially if you're the age that that kid was when he was doing that show, the pressures because you don't you don't even have to be famous, right? You don't have to be famous. Like I remember, like me and Jeremy, uh, me and Jeremy Johns would talk sometimes. It's like you can be like a fucking nobody, like me, right? If a few people know you, you're gonna actually take a lot of heat. I, I was talking to an I'm not gonna say who it was. I was talking to an ESPN guy. This one time, and he's like, "Oh yeah, like I just you got to understand when you go and look up your favorite celebrity and look at actually look at the pressures they have to face." And I think a lot of people don't understand that sometimes. I mean, it's part of the gig; you have to accept that. That's part of the gig. If you're going to take the rewards, here's the price tag that it comes with. But I think, especially when you're a kid who was that young, that inexperienced, he didn't, you know, have a lot of. I don't know. It it seems like it's it's a tougher thing than we understand. Well, yeah, you know what's what's so, and I've tried to explain this to people, but even I suffer from it as well. The ver when you're an actor or you're a director or you're making a movie or whatever, the experience of doing all of that has nothing at all to do with what it's like for an audience to watch the finished result of all of that work. When you're an actor and you're going to set, 
There's a lot of boring hours. You sit, sit on the set waiting to shoot your material. You work for like five minutes and then you leave and go back to your trailer for another hour or something, not on TV, but in movies and wait for another setup. And it is grueling. It is mind numbing. And you can work on bigger movies for like six months, you know, even a year. How long has the Batman been in production now with Robert Pattinson? My God. <laughs> and then what happens is what, what we get to see the magic. You know, we get to see the finished shows. And and so suddenly the people that are starring in these things become mystical beings to us. Because if we're watching Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad or Star Trek, whatever your favorite show is, those actors are no longer people that make shows. William Shatner's Captain Kirk. He he lives on the Enterprise. He He knows Klingons. He's fought Romulans. That's what we think of him. And then when you meet him on the street, he's a dude with daughters and ex-wives and investments and he's going to be 90 on the 22nd of March this month. You know, he's just a guy. And yet in our minds, we think of these people as mystical beings and it's hard not to because when we watch these things and, and we want them to be those mystical beings and they're just workaday people, you know, they might be, they might have gotten rich, but usually they didn't start rich and they weren't even the quote unquote Hollywood elites. They're usually like some dude or some girl that comes from the Midwest looking for uh, looking to be an actor and becomes uh, works on a career for years at a time. And then suddenly you're a star where you can't walk out of your house and buy toothpaste. So it's a really weird life. And we only see the one side of it. And we yeah. don't know what it's like to not even be able to walk out of your house with some paparazzi camped on your front doorstep. I mean, how it's so weird. Especially if, if you're a kid. Especially if you're a kid. I, so I, I guess the point is this. is like, look. Yeah, if you if you want to get into that kind of life, you got to understand it's part of the job. You got to understand that. But that doesn't mean that those of us who aren't in that job shouldn't appreciate that it comes with a very unique set of pressures yes. and a very unique set of stresses that most people will never really understand or be able to relate to. Like, yes, it's part of the job. You want the fame and the money, you're going to have to understand that this comes with it, but we should still appreciate it's difficult to deal with all that crap that comes with it. Yes. And, you know, being friends with like Aaron Cummings, who is not an A-list actress by any means, but she's had enough success that she's told me a lot of horror stories about things that she has to deal with as well along the way. And she's like, it's part of the job. I know that. I knew that getting into it, but sometimes it's tough to deal with. And yeah. I think we need to understand that. Anyway, it's an excellent question. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's see here. Jackie Daytona. Oh, I love that reference. That, do you guys know it? Do you guys know it? That's a, what we do in the shadows reference. Jackie Daytona. I love that episode. It's one of my favorite episodes of what we do in the shadows. Anyway, Jackie Daytona writes regular human bar. I see he's even regular human bartender. I'm here to make you feel something. I won't feel anytime soon. Old 10 years ago this week, Rango. I remember reading something about this. Yeah. 10 years this week, Rango. Adjustment Bureau, Take Me Home, and the last Mary-Kate Nolson appearance, uh, Beastly Jonathan and Co., what stands out the most? You know what's funny, Rob? A lot of times when these, like, 10 years ago, 20 years ago lists come up, like, there's usually one or two that make you go, no way that was 10 years ago. I don't feel any of that for these movies. Rango feels like 10 years ago. Um, adjustment bureau actually feels like longer than 10 years. I'm surprised if it's only 10, I actually would have guessed it was longer ago. So none of them really stand up. By the way, I was, I, I know this is going to sound real, real weird, Rob, but I didn't love Rango. 
Like I remember I saw Rango and I was like, oh, that was all right. That was all right. And I was really surprised to find out how many people like went bonkers for that movie. I, I thought it was okay. It's not bad. I, I, I liked it, but I didn't think it was all that great. What did you think about Rango? I, I you know what? I thought it was kind of off the wall and I, it was so not what I expected that I, I liked it. I was like, yeah, this was interesting. I, I didn't expect it. And I think it's pretty, pretty unique. It is unique. It's absolutely unique. It's a great, yeah. it, it's, it's a very interesting vision of the spaghetti Western done in animation style. So that one's pretty good. Okay. Next up. Uh, James L.H. writes, Hey, John, understandably, WandaVision has been the dominant discussion on your show. It absolutely has. Uh, with the conclusion, what do you think will be the most talked about uh, in the coming weeks? There's Falcon and Winter Soldier, Snyder Cut, Godzilla versus Kong, Mortal Kombat, or something else. It's going to be Falcon and Winter Soldier. It, it, I, I, that's not going to be the only thing that gets talked about, obviously, but the most dominant one will probably be Falcon and Winter Soldier for the main reason of why WandaVision was, because it will be week after week after week, and it's going to have this building thing. And of course, there's going to be lots of other things to talk about, and we will. But if you're going to ask about what's going to be the probably the most consistent thing talked about, well, Godzilla vs. Kong is coming out once, and Mortal Kombat is coming out once, and Snyder Cut is going to hit once, and but Falcon and Winter Soldier will just keep coming. It'll just keep coming. And so it's like a, it's like all you can eat buffet, man. There's always more and it'll just keep coming. So I'm guessing that will probably be that. All right. Next up. Uh, don't forget your name rights. Hey, John, I wrote you about my novel getting published and it's getting good reviews. That's awesome. Which shocked me. Uh, it's just a little hobby. If it ever makes it to the big screen, I doubt it. I will insist your Aaron, your Aaron gets one of the parts. Both take care and love your show. Well, here's the reality. First of all, congratulations on writing the novel, but here's the reality. You ain't going to have the power to insist on a certain actor being in your movie. Unless your name is J.K. Rowling or something, the, the author of the book really doesn't get that kind of power. But enjoy, enjoy it nonetheless as it goes. And again, it's huge that you actually did something everybody talks about and doesn't do. You sat down, you had a goal, you wrote the book, you saw through to completion. That is no easy task, man. It took me five years which would have taken other people six months. It took me five years. So I totally respect that, man. Totally respect that. Well done. Next up, Mr. Mystery writes, I do think classic Superman, not Elseworld, should be should be white. Do you really think a black Superman baby landing in Kansas farm uh, would have the same youth and life experience as a white Superman? Unfortunately, in today's world, your skin color does matter. Well, yes, because I don't think Kansas is a hot spot for racist, ignorant, you know, <laughs> Cousin humping basement dwellers. <laughs> Look, the one thing I said about this before, Rob, uh, that I was actually an advantage, I think, to like to me, I don't care. I, I'm more of a traditionalist. If I was making a Superman movie, I'd probably make him white. But I don't care. I don't think it I don't think it matters what color he is. So one of the advantages, though, if they did make Superman, uh, remember, Superman is neither white nor black. Superman is an alien organism. Um, whose skin pigmentation just happens to be similar to that of a Caucasian white male traditionally. But there are, there are black, there's a black Superman in the comics, by the way. Anyway, the one advantage, Rob, and I talked about this the other day, and I'd like to know what you think about this. When you look at something like Man of Steel, one of the, we haven't seen this in every iteration of Superman, but in a lot of them, that young Clark Kent had a hard time when he was a kid as most kids do, but you even look at Man of Steel, right? Where like 
young Clark is getting bullied and all this kind of stuff. In Smallville, they they had some things to that too. And and both in Smallville and in in Man of Steel, I thought that is a good looking athletic kid. That kid probably wouldn't be getting bullied all that much. But if you say Superman is black, that might actually give you a pretense for some of the struggles he would have as a kid, you know, being clearly obviously adopted and things like that. It might have some advantages there for storytelling, so a storytelling gap that I think has been kind of void in some of the other iterations of Superman. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think you're right about that. I mean, remember Siegel and Schuster, Schuster were young Jewish kids, uh, immigrant, they're, they're children of immigrant families. I mean, I think the idea of the Superman allegory could absolutely be applied. I mean, it would be so interesting that, uh, you know, you have uh, Krypton. Remember, I, I mean, our racial differences have a lot to do with the region of where you are from on the planet. And assuming Krypton has a large red sun that is uh, swelling to the point where it's going to explode, it makes sense that Krypton, full of humanoids, that everybody on Krypton would be black because they would develop natural genetic defenses against the sun. You know, that's their pigment would be darker. So it, it to me, it makes perfect sense that you could have a black Superman. Uh, coming from Krypton, where where you the planet would be essentially a whole planet, which would be like Alf Africa because of the sun. So when he comes to Earth, you know this this character that has all of the knowledge of the twenty eight known galaxies, if you go by the movie, and is really really smart. Like one of the things he can never understand is like racism, you know, and and he has to pretend he has to hide who he is. And can you imagine if unless if he if he was like Superboy, but if he if he didn't know who he was, like in Man of Steel, until he reaches puberty and starts to manifest these powers, it would be even worse. You know, the same thing that they tell young Clark and Superman the movie when Glenn Ford says, you know, I know you're here for a reason, but you have to hide your powers. Well, imagine if you were getting bullied by racists as a kid and you knew you had these manifesting powers. And you're like, I could take these kids out. I don't have to put up with this shit. I'm like, and and imagine if you're that character. I think you could do a really interesting look at all of this. Because remember, you know, the character of Superman speaks for the entirety of the human race as an immigrant to this planet. And so our planet is made up of People of all different shapes, sizes, colors, and creeds. So while Superman has traditionally been, you know, he was written as a white dude that could only jump over tall buildings. Remember, he couldn't fly. Superman has evolved and the character has been changed and have different iterations of him throughout his history. So I have no problem. I would be really curious to see what they would do with the Superman mythology if Superman was black. I think you could tell a really interesting story. I'd watch that movie. I've read enough Elseworlds tales and in DC comics. I mean, Red Sun, Superman landed, became a communist. You know, what's more non-American than that? And and so you can look at different iterations of Superman, and I think you could do a really interesting exploration on what does it mean if you go back to truth, justice, and the American way. Well, how does that what does that mean to a black man who happens to be from Krypton? That could be really interesting. That's a neat little footnote. Who happens to be from Krypton? And here's here's the thing that I think a lot of people miss too. A lot of people miss on this. There is no legitimate reason why he needs to be black or white or or whatever. Just you tell your story. But this is the part people miss. 
how many iterations, Rob, have there been of, of Superman on the screen? Everything from George Reeves to Christopher Reeve to uh, Lois and Clark, now Superman and Lois, Smallville, three different on-screen Supermans, whatever. Guess what? This this new one? And by the way, we don't know that J.J. Abrams is going to make Superman black in this one. We don't, we don't know that. A lot of people theorizing and guessing, but we don't factually know that yet. But even if he does, it's just going to be the next iteration. And guess what? A few years later, there's going to be a different iteration. And then a different iteration after that. It'll just be one in a line of many. And all of them have been different. And all of them have been unique. And I, I just think people lose their collective shit for no reason. Um, but and you just got to understand, everything is temporary. Everything is temporary. Anyway. Yeah, it could be, it could be great. Yeah. It, we could get a really great movie. And it look, if you get a great movie, if, if you have great characters and a great story, nobody cares what color of skin the person who's the protagonist in the story is. They just, did anybody complain? I mean, Blade's always been black, but like the first Blade with Wesley Snipes, would you have had it any other way? No. And if they make a Superman, yeah, you're fighting against what this, we've seen in the past. But if the movies kick ass, people are going to be like, they're going to embrace it. They're going to be like, wow, that was... You know what? I was totally against this movie, but I saw it and the movie was great. And you can never escape a great character and a great story. Winning cures everything, Rob. Winning cures everything. Speaking of winning, you do a lot of that. In the meantime, thanks for being here, man. And with all the stuff you've got going on between Tango Shalom and, and Dota and all that kind of stuff, you've got a lot on the go. But in the meantime, where can people follow you and all the stuff that you're doing online, Rob? Well, John, I want to remind you that Movie Trailers A Love Story is still available both on Vimeo and on Amazon, so you too have a lot of stuff going on. Just wanted to point that out. <laughs> Thank you very so, much for the plug. So, so you can find me on Twitter at BurnettRM. Find me on Instagram at uh, Robert, Robert My Burnett, and find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, Rob, thanks for being here today, man, and we will talk to you again soon. Have a good one, dude. You too. All right, guys, that is the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. He will, of course, be back tomorrow. But for now, we still got a little bit of time. Let's keep going through your questions. The next one up uh, comes to us from Free Brittany, who writes, Hey, John, I think I remember in one of the promos, Wanda wakes up and it's it, and it's a looks and it's a looks. It sounds like Italian. And it's a looks. It's a looks like she's in an MRI machine. I'm starting to think uh, this was all a dream sequence, LOL. You know, I've heard a couple of people mention that. I never saw, I never saw, or I have no recollection ever seeing that in any of the promos. So I don't know if that was actually in a promo and it was just a scene that got cut. I don't know if it was maybe part of a, one of the many, many, many fake promos that were out there. I don't know, but I don't ever remember seeing that one myself, Free Brittany. Maybe it was all just a dream. All right, next up. Ozient writes, search up Fantastic Four on Twitter and you'll see the official Marvel Studios account for it, which follows Michael B. Jordan and Owen Judge, which he has a bio as Young Reed. Thoughts? Uh, but is it verified? That's the thing. A lot, a lot of people, hold a second. Uh, fantastic for Twitter. Let me see if there's, I just don't know if it's, uh, verified or not. Uh, is that a real verified badge? I'm not sure that that is a real verified badge. Hold a second. Let me double check. No, it is a real verified badge. Uh, John Watts will direct the new film. So I don't know. Uh, wakes up. It looks like, I'm not sure. Just because they follow Michael B. Jordan, that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. And Owen Judge, which has his bio as Young Reed, I really don't think. Listen, they, a Marvel exec mentioned the other day that no casting has been done on Fantastic Four. 
no, no casting has been done on fantastic four. So I, so I don't know that that's giving anything away because, you know, they just had a little bit of a dust up where they said, look, we haven't even had the script written yet. We're, we're just starting to look for screenwriters let alone casting anything. So I, I, so I don't know how legitimate that would be, but I, I know you never know. There might be something to it. There might be. I didn't even know they had the official account up yet. All right. Ozian writes, imagine if Magneto and or professor X shows up in the mid credit scene. Oh, of course, this was written Thursday night before the main episode for the episode came out. Imagine if Magneto and or professor X show up in the mid credit scene. And then it zooms out to Deadpool watching the show, eating his chimichangas and saying, now that's a plot twist. Oh, listen, I've said from episode one, if they ever had, if they decided to have either uh, Professor X or Magneto show up in that show, which, I mean, I thought there was a possibility. I had contrasting thoughts. I thought it was a possibility just because it would break the internet, but I also thought Kevin Feige's not bringing in any X-Men or any mutants yet. Anyway, there is no doubt it would have absolutely shut down the internet. I mean, it would have shut down the internet. I'm glad they didn't do it because it would have been a cheap gimmick, but, and I'm glad they kept the focus on the story and I'm glad, but oh my God, there is no doubting, no doubting. It totally would have shut down the internet, totally would have shut it down. All right. Next up, the Wakandan forever writes, are our expectations for WandaVision finale too high? They could bring in the Avengers, Justice League, Star Wars, Ninja Turtles, and the Harlem Globetrotters, and people won't be satisfied. If Baby Yoda doesn't make an appearance, I will be pissed. And that's kind of what we were talking about a little bit earlier, right? It's like certain people create... I mean, I, I remember talking to this one dude on Twitter. We had a short exchange. It's like, it's bullshit if they don't have Ghost Rider show up. And you're going to have Dark Arts and Ghost Rider's got to be there. If he doesn't show up, this will be bullshit. And it's like... What does this story have to do with Ghost Rider? Again, it's it's fun for us to have. It's awesome for us to have these theories and go wild with them. And we should never stop. But we also have to stop making our theories coming true as prerequisites for whether or not we like the show. That's just way too myopic. And we got, because listen, a lot of my theories didn't come true. Didn't change the way how I felt about the show. We just got to be willing to take our expectations, leave them at the door and move on. So that is a problem, Conan. All right. Derek writes, Hey, John, I saw in Good Morning America that Paul Bittany did say that the actor he wanted to work with was himself. He thought it would be funny, but it got out of hand with the fan theories. Yeah, and I didn't even know when he said that at the time. I didn't even know whether or not to believe him because I thought maybe that in and of itself is a misdirect. I didn't even know whether or not to believe him. But yeah, he just kind of said it as a joke. And then everybody, including me, including you, everybody grabbed onto that one little thing he said. And we started running with the massive thing. It's understandable that we did. But he, yeah, look, people, we, we, it got out of hand. He didn't really think it through, but it is what it is. All right, next up, Ivan G writes, hey, John and Aaron. Aaron's not here, obviously. I uh, just wanted to write in to thank you for turning me on to the Harley Quinn show. I've never laughed so hard as especially in the Queen Fable episode. The Queen Fable episode, was, Queen of Fables was really funny. Episode at the family reunion. What an amazing show, and I can't wait for the next season. Uh, P.S. Love your movie. Thank you so much, Ivan. I appreciate that. Um, listen. You guys know the Harley Quinn show is something for me that I had no interest in. I don't like DC or Marvel animated stuff. There are exceptions for both Marvel and DC. There are some exceptions, but for the most part, I think Marvel and DC animated stuff is just pure trash and drivel for children. But I saw the ads for Harley Quinn and I thought, well, that looks stupid. 
Yay, another DC or Marvel animated thing. It's all trash. Blah, blah, blah. I, I, I just don't like it. It's not for me. If you like that stuff, awesome on you. I'm just giving you my own personal opinion on it. But I, uh, and so I saw the trailer, no interest, zero interest in that thing. And then you guys kept, like, you wouldn't let up. You guys kept, so many of my viewers kept writing in, John, you should really check out this Harley Quinn show. You really should. So finally I gave in one night and Ann and I were at home and we were eating dinner. We started to eat dinner. We're like, well, should we pop something on? And Ann's like, what do you want to watch? I'm like, well, I feel dumb even suggesting it, but a bunch of people, a bunch of my viewers keep writing in saying I should watch Harley Quinn. Do you feel like watching the first episode of Harley Quinn? She's like, yeah, okay. I was hooked in five minutes. I was completely, absolutely and utterly hooked in five minutes. That's all it took. And I was hooked on it all the way through the first two seasons. Never stopped. And I tell you what, the Harley Poison Ivy romance is the best romance on TV right now. I'm not even joking. There's more heart and character in that romance than any other romance on TV. It is so good. It is so good. By the way, uh, Fode S is writing in the super chat. John, you should check out My Harry Academia. I did. I didn't like it all that much. I try. I got all the way through the first season. I got a little bit into the second season. I'm like, this just isn't doing it for me. It, 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 but anyway, Harley Quinn. Oh my God. Uh, it's so good. It is so good. If you guys haven't started watching the Harley Quinn uh, animated show, you really should. It. I mean, it won't be for everybody. Nothing is. It won't be for everybody. But I, there's. I don't. I can't think of anything else on TV lately outside of reruns of, of The Office or Parks and Rec that like makes me laugh as hard as that Harley Quinn show. It's absolutely nutty. Anyway, thanks for that, Ivan. Next up, Ozian writes, uh, could Wanda in theory hypothetically create an infinite amount of vibranium and would she also then be able to spawn all the uh, antiques slash relics from the different eras and pawn them or sell them once uh, once those said items are taken out of the hex? Um. That's that's a good theoretical question. I don't know. It's like things she spontaneously created out of nothing. Like Monica's clothing wasn't spontaneously created out of nothing. It was just something that was changed. Things that she spontaneously created out of nothing could not exist outside of the hex. So I don't know. I mean, so with that being the case, if she tried to make an ancient relic out of a box of soap, well, then as soon as somebody studied that ancient relic, they would see it's actually a box of soap. Like, remember they studied um, Monica's clothing and it's like, hey, wait a second, this thing is like 75% Kevlar. Like they were able to tell the difference, but I don't know. They haven't really, all we know is that the Scarlet Witch is supposed to be at her full potential more powerful than the Sorcerer Supreme. I don't think Wanda is as powerful as Doctor Strange yet because like Agatha said, you got the raw power, but you don't have the the um you don't have the uh, knowledge yet and so that's where we see Wanda at the end of it right going through the 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 dark hole just like and all that kind of stuff like getting powerful and I, I still think this is going to go dark I still think this is going to go dark but we'll see all right next up Edgar M writes I've been going to the AMC Tyler 16 oh that's the one near me 
I've been going to the AMC Tyler 16 since day one. I love both IMAX and Dolby screens there. Of course, Dolby screens are superior, but in my opinion, you should try the AMC Ontario Mills Dolby screen once in a while when they open way superior and louder than the Tyler one. Really? All right. I'll have to check that one out. I know there's an uh, also an AMC I've been to at Victoria Gardens, which is up by Rancho Cucamonga, California, uh, but I've not been to the Ontario Mills one, I don't think, but once now that I live out here in Riverside, now once these theaters open back up, I'll be able to try a whole bunch of them. I do miss the AMC Burbank 16, though. Gotta say I miss the AMC Burbank 16. All right, next up. Uh, Ozian writes, both Avatar The Last Airbender and iCarly are in both Paramount Plus and Netflix. Does it benefit Nickelodeon to have multiple titles on multiple streaming services, or would Nickelodeon benefit more if it were to launch its own streaming service like Disney Plus? No, Nickelodeon, there's 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 not enough there for Nickelodeon to be its own streaming service, I don't think. Um, I just don't think it's there. You want that as a part of Paramount Plus. And if you're Paramount, that's where you want it to live. Now, of course, they had licensed out live action iterations. That's why you're going to see the thing over on Netflix. And hopefully that's going to be great. A lot of people like listen. I know what I'm going to say here is unpopular, but still it's the truth. A lot of people's like, oh, without the original creators being a part of the live action thing, it can't possibly be good. Uh, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. It can be good and it can be great. Guess what? The original creators of Batman had nothing to do with the Dark Knight. Christopher Nolan isn't one of the original creators of Batman, yet he was able to take step in, take this, this fictional character and breathe some incredible life into it and made it awesome. Now, is that what's going to happen with live action Avatar on Netflix? Maybe yes, maybe no. We won't know until we see it. But this notion is absurd. This notion that unless those two guys who have never done anything live action, unless they're a part of it, it cannot possibly be good. That's absurd. That is an absolutely absurd point of view. Of course, it could end up being terrible. It absolutely could end up being terrible. But Netflix, other than HBO Max, Netflix does original TV series better than anybody. And if anybody's going to make a live action uh, Avatar The Last Airbender really good, it's going to be Netflix, even if they don't have the original guys there. So again, I'm not saying it's going to be fantastic. I'm just saying this idea that it automatically can't be fantastic because those two guys aren't there. That's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. So uh, we'll see, though. We'll see. It'll either be great or it'll be awful, but it's Netflix. And even though they do a terrible job with their live action movies, they do a great job with their live action series. They really do. So we'll see how it turns out. Anyway, next up. Um, uh, Mumra, the ever living writes, I feel Disney's live action remakes are a mixed bag. So let's flip the script. What are some live action Disney films you'd like to see remade into hand-drawn animation movies? Absolutely zero. Uh, my picks are Swiss Family Robinson, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and Castaways. I, I really don't. I'm not a fan of going the other way. I'm not a fan of, of going in the other direction. I, I like the, see, because the thing about the animated thing is you see a great animated thing and then your imagination starts to go, what would that look like in real life? What would that look like live action? At least that's the way my mind works. I mean, obviously for you, it's different. And I'm sure for a lot of other people, it'd be different. But for me, I don't think about, wow, this live action thing, I'd love to see it as a cartoon. 
not that it can't be done and can't be done in a fantastic way. I'm sure it could, but I usually start with animations like, okay, is that something like Incredibles? The Incredibles. I don't think you can make the Incredibles live action, but man, that would be something to think about. What would that look like on the big screen? Some people call that Fantastic Four, but we'll find out. Anyway, so that's just the way I think about it, Mumra, but I'm sure a lot of other people think about it the same way you do. All right, next up, uh, B. Wayne New York writes, Hey, John. So last night, the cast of WandaVision was all uh, over on late night TV. Uh, Vision on Colbert, Wanda uh, and Agatha on Jimmy Fallon, uh, Fallon Olsen and... Ha- oh, I, I saw this, but I didn't watch it. I saw this pop up in my feed, but I didn't watch it. Um, Olsen and, and Han did a funny WandaVision sketch and talked about the series finale, how she's filming Doctor Strange 2 now and how it all comes together in Doctor Strange 2. I keep wanting to go, I keep forgetting to go and watch that. So apparently they did some kind of like WandaVision sketch on Fallon and I saw it pop up all over my news feeds, but I never actually stopped because I was busy doing other things. I never actually stopped to watch it and I heard it was great. So I will have to go and check that out because it does sound like it was pretty funny. Thanks for reminding me of that, B-Win. Next up, uh, Sin Vendetta writes, it's game day, John. Uh, this was Thursday, of course. So excited to finally get to the finale, but also sad that it's going to end. Watching this show week to week and speculating with you and Rob, uh, Kim, and Aaron has been so much fun and the highlight of the last eight weeks for me. Thank you. Uh, dude, listen, I'm going to tell you what. Um, it has been, for me, ridiculously fun. The pregame shows and the post-spoiler shows have been so much fun. I, 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 I can't think of something I've had more fun doing the last, you know, six months on my show. And I like everything I do on my shows, but that has been bonkers fun. And by the way, a little bit later today, uh, Kim, uh, Kim is going to be in, uh, Kimberly is going to be back and we're going to be doing a big long companion video a little bit later today. So keep your eyes open for uh, the return of Kimberly Kern a little bit later today. Anyway, uh, it has been psychotically fun. I've enjoyed it so much and I enjoyed the show so much and I cannot wait to do that again for Falcon and Winter Soldier. I think it's going to be a blast. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, Sin Vendetta. Next up, uh, leave it blank to be anonymous rights. I've cracked it. I know how WandaVision ends. The final scene just before she's about to lose it and cause the apocalypse, Pietro shouts at her, Wanda, eat a Snickers. And she catches it, takes a bite, and the world is saved with the final shot saying, you're not you when you're hungry. Again, the one nightmare I had going into the WandaVision finale, and I I was 95% sure they wouldn't do it, but there was that 5% that I was so worried about. My one worry going into WandaVision finale was, what if they do pull a BS, it was all a dream thing. Oh my God, I would have been so pissed. I would have been so pissed. And I think everybody else would have been completely pissed too. But that kind of, they should do a commercial. That's what Snickers should, I don't care how much money it costs to hire all the actors, should hire all the actors come in and do that commercial for your next. You're not you when you're hungry. That would be funny. All right, Wakandan Forever writes, Okay, John, final suggestion for the show. Picture this, the John Campia and Wakandan show. Uh, Hey, hey, my rates are reasonable. It will sell itself. P.S. Now that we had WandaVision, is there a DC or Marvel character you'd like to get their own series? I've really found it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. So, no. Um, I, because what I've learned over the years is that what character you make a movie or TV show out of absolutely has no impact on whether or not that TV show or movie are good. I'll say that again. 
what character you decide to make a TV show or movie out of has almost zero impact on whether or not that TV show or movie are any good. Uh, look at one of the greatest comic book villains in history, Dr. Doom. Simply one of the greatest comic book villains of all time. They've used Dr. Doom in so many movies and it has not made the movies any better. It, it really all comes down to do the screenwriters, the directors, or in, te- in the case of television, do the showrunners have an excellent idea for a story? And then do they know how to execute it and make it work? And if that happens, like if you don't have a great idea for story and you don't have great execution, it doesn't matter how good the characters are that you have. You can have the best comic book characters in the world. It's going to turn out to be a crap movie. You can take the most unknown, hardly ever talked about characters ever, Guardians of the Galaxy, that nobody gives a flying rip about. But if you've got a filmmaker like James Gunn, who's got this terrific vision for it and has this great idea for personality to infuse into it and he just executes it right, it can be one of the most fun, entertaining comic book movies of all time. It really ultimately doesn't matter. I have found that I've become more interested in, rather than the name of the comic book character, I've become more interested in who's directing it. And if you get a great storyteller, that has a better chance of being a great movie than insert name of comic book character here, right? Because Spider-Man, well, we've had great Spider-Man movies and we've had not great Spider-Man movies. So I, I really don't think along those terms anymore, Wakanda, and I really don't. Now, of course, you, you say a Bishop movie is coming. That's going to get my attention, things like that, for sure. But for the most part, I, I don't really think along those lines anymore like I used to. But I don't know. Maybe that'll evolve more. Okay, next up, Sam Phillip writes, Hey, John, I was wondering if you've seen any of the clips or trailers for the new Resident Evil video game. Uh, looks very interesting and very creepy. I'm a big fan of the games, and I'll be checking it out when it comes out. What about you? Thanks. Listen, I am I, I am, I am on YouTube all the time. Like, not on my computer, in my living room. Like, the, the app I have open most often... Like, honestly, if you add up the time over the week, by far, the one I watch more is not Netflix or HBO Max or Amazon or Peacock or whatever. It's actually YouTube. I'm constantly on YouTube. And I have come across a number of the the Resident Evil things, and I've got to admit, it looks pretty creepy. Video games don't... I've never been scared in a video game ever, and except for Five Nights at Freddy, Freddy's. I don't know why Five Nights at Freddy's pushes that button for me but man that game made me feel creepy as hell no other horror video game has ever done that to me but uh, this one looks like it has potential this looks like it has potential all right next up uh sin vendetta writes uh, also, John, thank you for answering my questions about whether movie trailers of Love Story would come to other services. I bought it on Amazon, watched it, and loved it. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate that. Uh, really great documentary you've put together, and I recommend it. I've recommended it to a few people I know. Well, thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. You know, it's it's crazy. You'll never know until you do it yourself how much work went into making that little documentary. It, 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 like, as I sit back and look at it, like how much and how long it took and the hours and hours and hours that went into it, 
it was crazy and it's really satisfying. You know, I, and I can say this honestly, I really like my documentary. I really like it. I honestly do. And uh, I'm proud of the documentary and I'm glad. Thank you so much to everybody who has checked it out, whether you rented it or bought it or whatever. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for your feedback. And I'm glad you guys enjoy it too. And um, now I'm looking forward to doing whatever my next project is going to be. So thank you for that, Sin Vendetta. I really, I really, really appreciate that. All right. Next up, MCU Fan Dan writes, Hey, John and Rob, just missed Rob. Uh, love what you do, and your guests are extra awesome. They really are awesome, aren't they? Uh, many people are still Wanda wandering instead of wondering if there will be a season two because the setup of the show, I think not. But do you agree that there could be a Scarlet Witch series in the future? I right now still don't think there will be. I really don't. And there's two main reasons for that. Reason number one, I just don't see... I mean, with the, understanding where the Scarlet Witch is at now, I don't really see the reason for doing another multi-episode episodic show. I mean, they could come up with a great idea and everything. That's fine. But I really don't see them going that way. But that's just me. That could change. The main reason I don't think they will is because of the the internals at Disney+. Plus. First, it w- they've always said it was a limited series. This is going to be a one-shot thing. But you have to understand, too, is that Marvel has, as much as they're doing, they still are one company and they have limited bandwidth. And uh, Daniel sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Daniel Luna. I appreciate that, man. Um, They have limited bandwidth. There's only so much they can do at once. And right now they have like eight other shows coming. And they haven't even begun to tap into the 50 other shows they want to do. And they can only do so many. So once they do the one of it, and by the way, I still think no insider information. This is me speculating on my ass. I still don't think Wanda makes it out of Dr. Strange too. I, I've said that for a long time. I still, I still believe they are not, she's not going to come out of that. But when you understand how many shows they still need to do, and not to mention they're get, about to get 400 more characters in the X-Men universe being introduced in where where do you do another WandaVision season? And you don't even need another WandaVision season. So my guess is no. Totally wouldn't put money on that. I wouldn't bet money on that at all. But I, I will say for now, my guess is no, they won't. All right, guys, listen. For everybody else from Anonymous, Peter Tennant, uh, Phil Corvelli, and on, we will get to your questions first off when uh, Kimberly Curran and I do a companion video a little bit later today. So watch for our companion video that's going to drop late this afternoon or later this evening, depending on where you live. And we will get mostly caught up on most of the questions that came in. I know we fell a bit behind because there wasn't a John Campus show on, on Friday, but we are starting to mortar our way through and me and Kimberly will get through most of, if not all of the remaining questions a little bit later today. Hopefully you guys will come back and check that out. But for now, that'll do it for this installment of the John Campus show. Thank you so much guys for being here and making this show part of your day. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his greatness and glory to the show. And a special thank you to all of you guys who sent in the live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved here with the John Campus show. Thank you guys very, very much for that support. Okay, guys, don't forget the John Campus Show will return again tomorrow morning. we got a companion video coming a little bit later this afternoon. whole lot of stuff going on. And remember, guys, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campion, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs>